good morning, everyone, and welcome uh, to St. Jude's. It's wonderful to have you here on our last day looking at the prophet Micah during Advent in the lead-up to Christmas. There is an outline in your bulletin if you would like to look at that, and let me pray for us before we do have a look at this passage together. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us here in Micah, and we pray that it will encourage us, that it will lead us to be truly repentant and to know the wonder of your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If someone ever does something wrong, it can be tempting for someone else, the wronged party, or someone else entirely to say, it doesn't matter. If I do something wrong against someone else, I can want them to say, it doesn't matter, hoping it'll just put the whole matter behind. But what if it does matter? What do we do then? I was thinking about a time when we were having lunch at a friend's house uh, a number of years ago, and they had two very small daughters. The younger one decided they wanted to bring their special tea set outside, a tea set that was actually belonged to the older one. She put all the tiny little cups and saucers onto this tray. She carried it along as it wobbled. She brought it down the steps outside, and you could see what was probably going to happen. At some point... She lost her footing, and a few of the cups fell off and broke. The little girl stood there, looking looking terrified as to how everyone would react. Now, at this point, it was very unlikely that her older sister was going to say, it doesn't matter. You could see on her face that it most definitely did matter. But just imagine if one of the parents had said, it doesn't matter. That wouldn't have fixed the situation at all, would it? That would not have fixed the relationship. Sometimes we do want people to say, it doesn't matter. Just put the thing behind us, just move on. And that might be fine for very small things. But what if we've really wronged someone? What is it that is said then? What can we say to mend that relationship? Because if someone says to you, oh, it doesn't matter, Well, either it's very small and it actually doesn't, or that person thinks that your relationship isn't important enough to try and fix it, to try and put it back where it was. You can always tell when someone says it doesn't matter or something similar, but it actually does matter. In Micah here today, well, it seems like the people in this part of the book They would love God to say to them, look, it doesn't matter. I love you. Just go on. You're doing your best. But is that what is really going to fix the relationship between God's people and their Lord? Do we really want God to say that to us? To say, look, it doesn't matter. Just go on. You're doing your best. What would that say about our relationship? Here in Micah today, I think we're encouraged to see that true forgiveness matters because true wrong matters. Sin matters. And just remember where we've come from in Micah. Last week, we ended by looking at one of the most famous verses from this prophet. Chapter 6, verse 8. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. But 
in the very next verses, we're shown that Israel fall terribly short from this standard. There in chapter 6, verse 10, God says, Am I still to forget your ill-gotten treasures, your wicked house, and the short ephah, which is accursed? You might be interested to know, like I was, what is it talking about here with the short ephah, and why is it so accursed? Well, an ephah was a measure of weight, about 20 kilograms, but notoriously hard to pin down exactly. So it was very easy for a merchant to cheat people by changing the scales, by shortchanging the people they were selling to. And this was accursed. This was the kind of relationship that people had, cheating each other, looking only after themselves. And so that's why God says there, I will give you over to ruin and your people to derision. You will bear the scorn of the nations. A terrible situation for God's people to be in. And Micah, he knows this all too well as we come to chapter 7, today's reading. He knows the situation they're in because he's one of the few people who actually understands what they have done, their need for forgiveness, the fact that what they are doing actually does matter, and so that's why there is judgment on them. Here in chapter 7, first of all, things have gotten so bad that the land itself is broken. In verse 1, I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard, a time of the season when there's barely anything less left, when there's barely any point going out to try and harvest. Not just the land is broken, but the people are broken. In verse 3, both hands are skilled in doing evil. Ironically, the one thing that the people are good at is evil. They're ready and eager to meddle in the lives of others for their own purposes. Things have been turned upside down. The judge is accepting bribes. The powerful dictate whatever they want rather than looking after the people in their care. Even the best of them, there in verse 4, is like a briar. Things are not looking good. It does matter, though. It matters to God. As we see in verse 4, the second half there, the day God visits you has come. The day your watchman sounds the alarm. Now is the time of your confusion. There are consequences for how they live. They should have known this. But they don't because, in verse 5, even their relationships with each other are broken. Those family relationships which you think would hold together even if everything else is falling down around. You shouldn't trust a neighbour, verse 5. Don't put confidence in a friend. Don't confide in even those closest to you. Verse 6, a son dishonours his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. At this time of year, in the lead-up to Christmas, family is such an important thing, isn't it? But it's also a time of year when broken family relationships are often amplified, when the effects of them are felt even stronger. Strangely, it's often around this time of year because of the pressures that everyone feels around Christmas 
that family relationships can become broken in the first place. And they're so hard to heal. Well, here are relationships which are broken and seem happy to stay that way. As if the people have gotten used to the situation that they are in. But Micah, he knows that this is not the way it should be. In verse 7, he says, As for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Saviour. My God will hear me. He's pessimistic about society, but he is not in despair. He knows that they're far from God, but he knows that it's only in God's arms that he is going to find forgiveness. And so that's why his faith grew, and that's why it shone out all the brighter. In fact, Jesus himself, he takes up this image of relationships being broken, of fathers against mothers, of daughter against daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, and he quotes it when he is pointing to the end times coming. This was such a powerful image that had gone down through the centuries and people had seen it as something that was a sign of the end times. And so when Jesus quotes it in Matthew chapter 10, verse 35, he is showing them that yes, these relationships are still often broken, as they are today. But a time is coming when they will be mended. There's always hope in the future. Our third point there, looking at verses 8 to 13. In verse 8 it says, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Here, Israel and Jerusalem are personified as a person sitting in ruin, with everything having fallen down around them. But they're still confident that they will rise. How can they be confident? Of course, it's because of who their confidence is placed in. Our fourth point there, that God will shepherd his people. Micah is confident that he will do this. Verse 14, shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance. This image of the shepherd, of course it goes way back to God being the shepherd of his people who brought them out of Egypt, to David being the great king who literally was a shepherd and then looked after his people as he led them. And of course to Jesus being the ultimate good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. But how can Micah have such a hope at this point when things seem so terrible around him, when all relationships are broken, when there's no concept of forgiveness, when even the city around him has fallen down? Well, it's because of God's character and also it's because of God's promises that he still trusts in. First of all, let's look at God's character. There in verse 18. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgiveness and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. 
This is a God who loves forgiveness. There is no other God in the world. And all other pretensions to God in the world do not have this character. A God who pardons sin. But more than that, who delights to show mercy. And he's promised to do so, hasn't he? In verses 19 to 20, Micah is reminded of the promises God made to Jacob, to Abraham, way back in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, the promises that God would have a people, that he would be their king, that he would lead them to his kingdom. Of course, promises that are fulfilled by Jesus. Now, back at the beginning, I said that forgiveness truly matters because sin matters. When someone does something wrong, when someone feels wronged, real forgiveness, that fixes the relationship. Maybe that little girl back at the beginning didn't have permission to bring out the tea set, or knew that she probably shouldn't be the one to carry it all by herself down those steps. But after they tumbled to the ground, she said to her sister with her head cast down, I forgive you. And the older sister, who was still only about five years old, said, sorry, she said, I'm sorry. And the older sister said, I forgive you. And they both had a hug. And it was one of the cutest things you could ever see. But how wonderful that even at that age, there was a real sense of saying, I'm sorry. Of in reply hearing, I forgive you. And the relationship being fixed. But saying, I'm sorry to God, it requires a recognition that there's something to say sorry about, doesn't it? A recognition of sin. And forgiveness, true forgiveness, it's costly, isn't it? That's why it can be so tempting to say it doesn't matter. It recognises that there's hurt, but it's putting the relationship above everything else, even the cost of saying it. God's forgiveness, of course, it's costly. It required the death of his own son for our sake. But to fully appreciate it, Well, we need to see our sin through his eyes. And this passage here, it helps us to do that because it's not just talking about a nation and a culture far away and a long time ago. It's talking about human nature and the sin that dwells in each of our hearts. But it's not meant to be a passage that should lead us to despair, but to hope like Micah has. We can appreciate that There is grace from God here. And when we appreciate that, we fully appreciate the forgiveness that he offers us as well. And we see that it's the same character in God back in Micah and who we see in Jesus. It's the same promises that Micah relies on that are fulfilled in Jesus as well. So don't be driven to despair when you see the hurt and the strife in the world around or even in your own heart. But remember that God delights in mercy. Come before him in repentance and accept the true forgiveness that he offers in Jesus. Let's pray.
Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you delight in mercy, that you delight in forgiveness, and thank you that you forgive us through your Son, Jesus. Please help us to recognise our need for that forgiveness. Help us to come before you in repentance and to joyfully know the forgiveness we have in your Son. Amen.